Sometimes you, you don't even want to read the news. Am I right? This morning they said China and Russia are doing military, naval military exercises just off the coast of Alaska. So there's an interesting thought. It makes you realize that as a nation, a nation always has to be ready to go to war. Interesting. And even a more significant conflict is the one that we're talking about today in Ephesians that Paul wrote about in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Do you believe in angels? According to the Bible, Christian people have the Holy Spirit living in them. And people who have the Holy Spirit living in them love the Bible. They want to know what the Bible says. They disobey, but they want to obey. They have a strong sense in them. God has spoken in his word, and that's the most important thing. Now, people who aren't believers, don't have the Holy Spirit living in them, then where they get their information is kind of for grabs. And so they tend, like maybe all of us humans, to be attracted to the spectacular, sensational, and speculative. And this is true in spiritual warfare. And that's why I ask you the question, do you believe in angels? It's an interesting thing to talk about. How many of you have heard interesting angel stories, kind of creepy angel stories? Okay, I'll tell you a few. Um, I I got an email from a writer here, here's, here's what he said. Um, when I was a kid, my mother believed in angels, but I didn't. I was on the fence about angels. I didn't believe in that kind of hocus pocus. My thought was, if angels are real, then why were they always the worst team in the major leagues? <laughs> my mother used to say, when you get older, you will believe. How can you be sure, I said? Because when you're older, there will be moments in your life when you cannot logically explain what happened without believing in angels. Mothers. But then I started writing, he said, this is Sean Dietrich, Sean of the South. You might know him as Sean of the South. And almost immediately, I started receiving stories from people on, in the mail or in emails, like this one. A young woman was in her car. It was midnight. The two-lane highway was desolate. Her impala struck a deer, and it was a huge deer. And her car spun around, and the automobile went into the opposite lane, and an oncoming vehicle struck her, and then she blacked out. And the next thing she remembers, a man is helping her out of the car. He lifts her out. He places her against the guardrail and says, you'll be okay. When the paramedics found her, she was saying, where is that man that got me out of the wreck? Ma'am, the EMTs explained, nobody's out here. Nobody travels this highway this time of night. And that's when she looked at what used to be her car, and it was a pile of soot. If she had been inside, she would have been permanently she had been burned alive. Here's another. The man worked at a commercial uh, factory. He was overseeing uh, huge production machines. When one of the machines started acting up, one of the workers, a young woman, tried to fix the mechanical problem herself. An employee, the employee had her arm inside the machine when one of the hydraulic levers pinned her arm inside the machine and her limb was about to be severed. The foreman was trying to help, but he couldn't. Others tried to help. They were incapable. And that's when the young man dressed in jeans and a t-shirt shows up and using his brute strength, he releases the hydraulic arms and he frees the woman. There was no way any human being could have moved those hydraulic arms, said the old foreman, 
Who, whoever that was would have to have had superhuman strength. The woman was freed. She was in shock. They splashed cold water on her face. And when the employees looked for the woman's hero to thank him, no one could find him. No one knew where he was. Wait, not done. There was a young woman of 12 swimming across the lake where her family lived, doing it on a dare. Her friends had dared her to swim more than a mile across the slope. When she reached the middle point, she began to get tired and couldn't go on. Her swimming turned to dog paddling. Her bad dog paddling turned to drowning. But there was a man in a boat who arrived and he dragged her into his skiff and he rowed her to shore. And when they found her, there was an empty boat on the shore that no one recognized, no identifying registration numbers on the boat, no identifying characteristics, and the man was nowhere to be found. That woman today is now 64 years old and her family still owns and uses the boat. I tell you all this because about 10 years ago, I finally broke down and wrote my first story about the supernatural. It was a story told to me by an old man who claimed an angel saved his life. Within 24 hours, I had received more angel stories than I knew what to do with. The stories had been emailed to me from all parts, from faraway places like Indonesia, Chile, Milwaukee. <laughs> Currently, I still receive dozens of angel stories every week. Well, now we could just go on and on talking about angel stories. That's just good, clean fun, isn't it? But people who know the Lord have the Holy Spirit living in them, and they care about what the Bible says. They don't just give themselves to sensationalism and spiritual speculation. They aren't like into that kind of neo-paganism. What do they do? Why, they open their Bibles and they say, well, God, what do you say about the supernatural? What do you say about our adversary, the devil? What do you say about angels? You are our divine ally. What do you say? And, and what do you say about the armor that you've given us to face an evil day? And folks, whether or not Russia or China attack Alaska, whether or not secular humanists take over America, we will face an evil day. And we live in an evil time. We live in a time of evil and the day of evil is coming. The day of evil is coming for you and for your family, for your marriage, for those you love. There will be apostates, people who we thought were Christians who really weren't Christians, and they fall away. And apostasies, great groups of people who leave the faith, who looked like they were a part of the faith, but really were not. This is a biblical definition of apostates and apostasy. There will be backsliders. These are believers who have seasons, sometimes longer seasons, when they are not walking with the Lord. And these are dark things. This is a very dark thing. Sometimes those backsliders will be will have your last name and you will love them deeply and you will lay awake at night in bed and you will pray for them These are evil days There will be false teachers to resist More false teachers as the end times approach not less The church at large is kind of acting like false teaching was a thing of the past But false teaching is not a thing of the past This is an evil day there will be false professors, false believers, and they'll look attractive. They'll even look good. There will be false religious systems and godless philosophies that will contaminate our culture. There will be dark demonic forces at work in very real ways to possess unbelievers, to oppress believers. And they will accuse and they will tempt and they will deceive. Little Philip, 
little curly-haired Philip the Michigan fan that just got baptized this morning. I was praying for him and I was thinking about him. This sweet little boy, 12 years old. He's, the, the devil's going to try to deceive that little boy. The devil is going to accuse that little boy, that young man. The devil is going to tempt that young man. Does anybody here doubt it? You know how we know that? Because he does that to us. And he's very precious. How are we going to protect him from the evil that he is going to face? How are we going to show that him and young people like him how to stand when the evil day comes? Well, we, uh, we want to know how to use our armor. That's what we want. We want to study a passage. This is the main passage where the, where the Holy Spirit speaks through the Apostle Paul to tell us how to resist evil. This is some important stuff. And so let's read it again. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And put on the whole armor of God. That, and you were right, Jordan. It's God's armor. And we get to put it on it. I'm glad you taught me that. You pointed that out to me. That made me think about that. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We do not wrestle, uh, do hand-to-hand -hand combat. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Listen, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. There is an evil day coming for you. There's an evil day coming for your marriage, for your family, for your children, for your grandchildren, for this church, for our precious country, for this world that God made. That you'll be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, stand firm. Stand is the objective here, right? Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as for shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can ex with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation which, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then there will be a bonus. We'll talk about that next week. I heard about... In one of these stories about mates killing one another, I heard about a lady who poisoned her husband because it didn't work when she shot him in the head with a crossbow. Shot him with a crossbow. I wouldn't like that. I'd be like, honey, really, can we find a different way to entertain ourselves than you shooting me with a crossbow? Imagine a crossbow with a flaming head on it. That's uh be kind of serious if somebody was supernaturally powerful and determined to hurt you and they're going to shoot you with flaming darts you might want the shield of faith <laughs> well i would be like so okay pastor help me with this you you got ahead of me this week and you studied a little bit what is the shield of faith and how do i use it because i don't want to get shot with the flaming darts of the evil one whatever that is that sounds bad so we'll talk about that think about this though we have an adversary the devil and he has a system that's described here in very colorful terms of a supernatural, well-organized, experienced, and well-equipped supernatural system. And that explains a lot, doesn't it? 
explains a lot about our world. You think deeply about the presence of an evil system like that. It helps you make sense of the world around you. It helps you explain the evening news. Explains a lot. And then we have angels. And these angels, sometimes the fallen ones, are called what? Demons. Demons. And there are millions of them, according to Scripture. And then we have, we do have angels that minister that help the saints and that's very real it's real but then we have an ally and who is our ally he's almighty i will give you a hint he's almighty god in this passage is our ally we are allied with god we are aligned with god right so this encouraging word who is on the lord's side who follows in his train do I need to repeat myself? <laughs> My, no. uh, and then, then we have this armor. So we have an adversary, and we have angels, and we have an adversary, we have an ally in God, but we have this armor, this equipment, this actual equipment that we both are and we do. We are it and this and we do this. It's something we are and it's something we do. It's something we have and it's something we use. It's something that we put on and it's something that we take up. It's practical. And so I love you very much. And I'm grateful that I get to be a part of the team that, that um, works with you and loves you and cares for your spiritual well-being. We pray for you. We have a team of good men and faithful women who help make decisions and who, who uh, we have a group of ladies that meet literally every Wednesday morning and they pray for you. We have a group of men that meet every Saturday morning and they pray for you. And we have teachers, children's teachers and adult teachers and we have people that work and they take their skills, their electrical skills and their plumbing skills. Thank you electricians and plumbers. Like, don't you love people that build bridges and do stuff that I can't even explain? And they give that to the Lord. They um, they serve and volunteer. They show up real quietly here. You don't, you don't hear about them that much. You're just kind of like, hey, look who buzzed in. What are you doing? Oh, I'm fixing this. And one of our brothers was telling us how many toilets we have in the building. I forget the number. It was like, a, really, it was surprising. How many toilets need to be cleaned and how many need to be maintained and all of that. And, these, and I say all this to say, we love you. And what we're doing here is probably it's more significant than it just looks like on the service it looks like just a bunch of nice folks gathered singing nice songs and listen to a guy talk for a long time but but there's something more going on than that here this is an outpost of heaven this is an offer to a lost and dying world thousands and thousands of people live right on our street right here many of them probably don't know their right hand from their left spiritually we could figure out a way to make Christ known to them. And have some ideas, but we'll talk about that. How does this armor work, though? Well, this armor is a concrete symbol that illustrates the truths that Paul already taught. You're going to see truth. You've, you've been reading about truth. You've been reading about righteousness. You've been reading about peace, the, the good news of the gospel of peace. You've been reading about faith. You've been reading about salvation. You've been reading about the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. 
These are things that you already have in Christ. That's what Jordan was saying. These are already spiritual realities. You're in Christ, seated in the heavenlies, and all this is already yours. It's God's armor, but through Christ, it's yours. You have the armor of God. And, and so there's a thing we do, though. We meditate on that. We worship toward that. That's why we sing about that, because the thing that is a reality, then, becomes our practice when we worship and when we meditate about that. We pray. And then, so there, the, these, are, there, these things, these uh, six pieces of armor or seven, they're, they're things we are. They are the armor of God, but they're things also that we do. And the reason we know that is if you look in chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians, you see very clearly these are things we already are and we already have. They describe us in the heavenlies, in our spiritual in how God sees us spiritually. But then in chapters 4, 5, and 6, you find clear exhortations to do these things. It's just that simple. In the first three chapters, you see this is who you are. In the second three chapters, you say these are things that you do at the prompting of the Holy Spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit. You should do them. You must do them. You can do them. And there's an evil day. It's dangerous if you don't do them. It's dangerous for you and all that you love. And this wonderful outpost of heaven cannot continue unless this happens here and we call down from God God's power to do what we do and so we've been studying how to put on the realities and take up the responsibilities to obey them does that make sense and so the belt the breastplate the boots the shield the helmet the sword remember this the belt is truth the breastplate is righteousness the boots are the preparation of the gospel of peace, ready to tell people how to be reconciled with God. That the helmet is the helmet of, I, I skipped the shield, the shield is the shield of faith. The helmet is the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the spirit is the word of God. So we don't have to look for sensational speculation. We don't have to look for neo-pagan formulas to say we don't have to watch spooky movies about how to cast out demons what we need to do is study our bible and the book of ephesians and the things that are listed here and practice them that's it that's my message today for you i will say a lot more like i always do let's review number one how do you use the belt of truth in spiritual warfare you speak truth to yourself you speak truth to other believers you speak truth to graciously to your husband to your wife to your children that's how you use the belt and then you you practice truth you are you are a person of truth or integrity and you speak truth and this is a weapon it's, this is a, the first weapon listed in spiritual warfare is speaking truth interesting second how do you use the breastplate of righteousness in spiritual warfare well, you put it on and you take it up you worship and you thank god that you have the righteousness of christ and then you do what's right you do right pastor phil anthony was the pastor of the loomis park baptist church when i was the youth pastor over there 30 some years 35 years ago or so and we went to a conference now pastor jordan i try to behave when you and i go to conferences together i mean has this been your experience if i embarrassed you or not too much Thank you. And so, um, but I went with Pastor Anthony and we were just having a great time. And this was a bunch of serious pastors. This is a pretty hardcore, serious bunch of pastors. And we go early in the morning and they had a rule you can't, that you can't save seats. 
and then they open the doors at a certain time. When they open the door, the pastors all look like break into a run to try to get a good seat. Pastor Anthony and I, I say, are we going to go early? He goes, no, we'll just go on time. Not, they're not allowed to save seats. We'll get a spot. So we go in. I'm going, and I'm, I'm just a kid pastor. I'm with the senior pastor guy, kind of like showing me around. And he walks up these guys, and they're all from like Alabama or Louisiana or something. They're real straightforward, good old boys from the deep south. And they save the seats. And Pastor Anthony just goes, follow me. And he walks right past where their Bibles are, and he just sits down. And then this guy that's sitting on the end who saved all the seats says, what's she doing? And he says, you can't save seats. And I remember this guy going, you need to move. We save them seats. Uh, I'm I'm pretty much exactly how the guy sounded. We save them seats. And you kind of thought, oh, that's great. We're going to have the Civil War all over again right now. I was like, oh, my goodness. And then he's talking to him. And Pastor Anthony's not looking at him. He's just looking straight ahead. And the guy's giving it to him. He was like, we got here at 6 o'clock in the morning. Save them seats. You went to breakfast. had your breakfast. And then you came. And you think you can just sit there like that? Pastor Anthony doesn't even look at him. I'm just so embarrassed. You know, I'm like, oh. Then the guy says, young man, are you with him? Are you going to do the right thing? And then I never forget him going, why don't you boys do the right thing? You need to do the right thing. I told you that to remind you. This is all that righteousness that's practiced is. It's doing the right thing. Doing right. Doing what's right. Whether or not we could do that or not, the jury is still out on. I don't know about that. But you know in your heart what's right and wrong. And it is spiritual warfare to listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and do practice righteousness. Just do the right thing. How do you do spiritual warfare? Do the right thing. How do you do spiritual warfare? Speak the truth and do the right thing. Third, how, how do the boots of the preparation of the gospel of peace help in spiritual warfare? It's just this simple. Always be ready to share the good news of peace with God. You should teach your children how to do that. You should know how to do that. You should quit. You should always be able to give. I told my sons, especially when we be out, I say, young man should always be able to give clear directions. And we, as believers, should always be ready to give clear directions. Here's how you can have peace with God. This church, everybody here should know how to help other people have peace with God. We should team up to help them because some of us are extroverts and some of us are better at, we've already established this plumbing and electric. And, and, but we should get together on a team so we can help with their plumbing and then have Mr. Talker guy over there, you know, close the deal. But, but this is the readiness that we ought to have. According to the Holy Spirit... And Paul, spiritual warfare is not about paranormal antics. It's not about magic verbal formulas. It's not baptizing paganism and using it for God. Spiritual warfare is just simple Christian disciplines. Spiritual warfare is meditating on who we are in Christ and then gathering in groups, small and large, to actually follow the Jesus ways to to practice the simple Jesus practices. And that is what Paul is saying. Now, three more new ones today and a bonus. How do you use the shield of faith in spiritual warfare? How do you use the, the next one is the shield of faith with which you can quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. How does that work? Well, you ward off, and this is a repetition today. You should, you've heard it in the baptistry, you're gonna hear it again. And, and that is you're gonna ward off temptations you're going to ward off deceptions, the fiery darts of the evil one. You're going to ward off accusations with what? What are you going to use? Your shield of, I really believe this book. 
This book says, don't do that. I'm not going to do it. This book says, do that. I'm going to, in the face of other evidence that seems contrary, my trust will be in what? The, the, this book, what God says, his promises. This is the, trust God in every circumstance. Trust what God has said, no matter what other pressure that you get from men or devils in every accusation, every temptation, every deception. These are the three major things Satan and his demons do. They will, t- isn't this interesting too? Remember I said this before. They will tempt you, then when you sin, they will accuse you. Has anybody had experience with this? Raise your hand if you've had any experience with this. Raise your hand if you don't. Raise your hand in church, ever. Raise your hand. Just everybody raise your hand right now. Just kidding. Uh, so, so. <laughs> okay, honey, I won't do that anymore. Um, anyway. <laughs> so, so, truth of the matter is, he will tempt you until you sin. Then he will accuse you the rest of your life. And it isn't funny. I'm telling you, I've met people who live under a pile of of boulders of accusation and they can't move for God and they can't enjoy their lives they're just crushed because they're guilty because they 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 yielded to a solicitation to evil and then he accused them and what he loves to do is tell us a half truth and then we believe it and then he uses it to injure or even if he can kill or if he can damn us this is how he works this is serious we're talking terrible injury. We're talking about death. We're talking about damnation. He deceives to do those things. Then he tempts. Then he accuses. What in the world can we do if a supernatural being has a supernatural force of supernatural beings around us to tempt us and to accuse us and, and to deceive us? What can we do? Believe what God said. We have a shield, a small shield, to ward off all those darts. The shield of what? Of faith. I believe the promises of God. It's that simple. How do I fight in spiritual warfare when I'm being accused, or when I'm being tempted, or when I'm being deceived? Same thing, shield of faith, trusting God. I believe what God has said. I'm not gonna allow myself, not single woman tempted to settle. No, no, believe what God said. He's the rewarder of all those who diligently seek him, including single girls that are getting older than they wish to get before Mr. Wright came along, or the young man tempted to indulge his flesh. Young man, that will happen to you. Is the, is the Bible true, and will you trust the promises of God for your satisfaction? Or uh, older men tempted to cynicism older people if you're older like me I want to gently entreat you right now here's a theory I have and I think I can back this up when you get older you might be tempted to get hard or cynical skeptical kids are always on their phone the whole whole groups going to hell you know those kids that are on their buried in their phone they're not they're worthless you may ever meet people like that you just want to go all old people are crabby when you hear that don't you that's not nice but that's the way you feel like please please these kids actually are pretty smart and they're just like you but anyway you tend to that's a tendency to just get old and mean 
and not believe that God is still saving young people and still using young people and still inspiring young people and still filling them with the Holy Spirit and still sending them to the mission field and that the same God who stirred your heart when you were young is stirring their hearts right now. We just get old and we're tempted not to believe that anymore. But there's the shield of faith. No, God says he's still that, that in Ephesians and chapter 3 and verse 21 that the glory of the church of the glory of God in the church will extend to all generations what it says so I lift up my shield of faith here's the other temptation for older people and that is to get soft and anything kind of goes you've been around you've seen a lot of things had the rough edges taken off so you realize that you were really cocksure when you're young and you realize there are probably more questions than you realize but you've gone too far with that and you've gone beyond where, where you should go and you're starting saying okay to things the Bible doesn't say are okay you're starting to believe that it's, things are right that the Bible says are still wrong what do we do when we're old and we're tempted like that well we still use our shield of faith but we're older so we should be better at it because we should be more experienced and by the way the children are watching the children are watching us they're seeing how to use the shield of faith or not so can I say this real sweetly when you get old don't get hard and crabby please we love you don't do that and if your old friends are doing that tell them you know speak up they need to hear it and then we, we, we have a little hearing loss sometimes when we get older and then if you're too soft then read your Bible you don't it's arrogance it's pride to say that what God's Word says might not be true that's just arrogance and pride you're in a dangerous place and sometimes older people they compromise away everything they live for all their life right at the end now let's not do that let's not do that let's stand that's what the Bible calls it let's stand we'll stand right here we'll stand here in joy and we stand here in doctrinal fidelity and in trust and how do we do that what would we what would we what do we have how would we do that anybody listening we would use our say it shield of faith that's what we're on shield of faith yeah we would do that for this reason because I heard of your faith Paul says in Ephesians 1 15 I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints is that good oh would they say that about me when I'm older I heard, oh, I heard of your faith and your love for all the saints. Or, by, or here's one that Paul said in chapter 2 and verse 8. Maybe you've heard this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That's not your own doing. That's a gift of God. Man, we should have the kids memorize that one in Awana. I'm, we always do that. That's a joke. All right. And, or, or, or what are we called in Ephesians 1.1? 1, 1? What are we called there? Paul, an apostle of Christ by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus who are faithful. They're filled with faith. They have the shield of faith. They're filled with faith. This is how we push back when a couple is deceived into believing that their grandchildren will never follow God like they did. Don't believe that. Faith can leap over generations of unfaithfulness and land in a place you won't. But a couple of the kids that were raised in this church did a podcast. Did you hear it last week? And they were talking about following the Lord. They were talking about, I don't want to embarrass anybody. I'll just kind of leave it here. But talking about like walking away from the Lord. But then the Lord called to them in the night 
and then getting up at five in the morning every morning before we go to work and getting in the word hey that dad doesn't sound like a kid with his head buried in the phone all the time unless he's doing his devotions on the phone and then in which case that's that's cool right how sweet is that it sounds like the holy spirit is working with him that list that podcast it's linked on my it's linked on my uh, facebook you can you can listen to it you'll be encouraged some of you were the sunday school teachers of those children and they're seriously living for the lord right now and seeking the lord and trying to follow the lord so lift up the shield of faith and sometimes you make a mistake and you're just feeling crushed find a passage in god's word and lift up the shield of faith and believe what god said that he forgives those who sin against him and who are penitent when you're tempted to a life of ease or a life of selfishness and you're not considering the needs of others and this is probably the big temptation i know you're not probably going to go off to a strip club this week you're probably not going to go off and get drunk or 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 you're probably not going to take too many marijuana gummy bears what you're probably going to do is you're going to be selfish and you're going to live for yourself and you're going to like not want to help other people and you want to keep people at arm's length don't that's a deception don't do that there's going to be a time of rest for the people of god but now it's time to serve him and get in the battle and, and slug it out we're going we're gonna to be tempted to believe. We're going to be deceived into believing it doesn't pay and that we need to get our heaven now while we can. That's when we need to lift up our shield of faith. I, I probably should move on, shouldn't I? How does the helmet of salvation help in spiritual warfare? Salvation. You see yourself as a part of a mission team seeking the salvation of others. You see your whole life that way. You lead people to Christ. You, you change the world. You believe that you can change the world one heart at a time. It's salvation is the way Paul is using salvation in Ephesians. It's spiritual transformation. It's conversion. It, it's saved from sin. So you know that you, your helmet is, I know I'll be ultimately delivered, not because I'm good, but because I have Christ and I'm saved. I am saved past tense. My spirit is saved eternally. Salvation is eternal. Isn't a decision you make and you unmake? You can't be unsaved if you're really saved. The Bible doesn't teach anything like that. The Bible is very clear that the nature of salvation is eternal. What kind of life you get is eternal life. In a moment that you believe, you have eternal life. And, and we'll, we'll go back and we'll cover that territory again. That's not our subject today, but I will say, when you put on the helmet of salvation, when you know that you're saved, D.L. Moody said it like this. D.L. Moody said, I doubt if God ever used a man, he, I think he said man or woman, until they had the assurance of their salvation, God won't, a person without the assurance of their salvation can't move on to really being used to the Lord because they're always wondering if they're saved. We have the helmet of salvation that is the part of the armor of God that's given to us. And we're obsessed with getting the helmet of salvation to other people and to see to it they are saved. So we join little teams and we share our gifts and we plot. I, I stay awake at night thinking about the folks that live in these beautiful homes that go, all these homes that live down here and, and uh, all, God cluster them all together, but you're not allowed to go see them. I, I'm not sure you're allowed to go see them because they have, you know, homeowners associations. And I thought, I heard about a guy who did this. I want to do this. I heard about a guy who said he had his church donate money to buy an LED light bulb for everybody that lived in the apartment. He got permission to go, and the people went over to the apartments, and they gave an LED light bulb as a gift 
to every resident. And then they said, like, hey, we're here from Bethel Church, and we just want to be a light in the community. And we have a playground that you can use anytime you want to. And we have a, a parking lot. A lot of people come and they walk on our parking lot. We have ladies' meetings and men's meetings and free breakfast. And, and we would love to have you. If you, you. You would be welcome, and we would look forward to having you. Wouldn't that be kind of cool? It'd be just thinking about how do we team up and figure out how to get the word of salvation to people who are lost I would watch a documentary. I love the Mountain South. I got my wife when she was born in the Mountain South. So I have a very deep love for the Mountain South. It's a beautiful place. I was watching a documentary this week about drugs in the Mountain South. It is so sad. It's so sad. And we should, we should, you know, this is what Christians should think. How do we have a missional approach to the people that are these precious people in this beautiful culture in the mountain south and the young people are are being devastated by the evil one in drugs this is what christian people do they obsess about how to get salvation to people it's just that simple this is spiritual warfare people save listen to ephesians 1 13 in him also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him you were sealed with the promised holy spirit that's why we have prayer partners that's why we have small groups that's why we have the Bethel wheel. That's why we do the plague thing. Don't tell me it doesn't work. Even you know, Ken Wyatt had a friend call him. I'm going to repeat a little bit of a story, but there's more to it. So Ken Wyatt had a friend who's a, named Peter, who's an Episcopalian, who used to work at the paper, and he moved up north. And he noticed that a guy that was real hard-nosed and rough-son and, you know, salty and such started to have some spiritual interest a couple years ago. And so he'd been corresponding with me, and the guy went to hospice. And, and his name was Paul and this guy Peter writes to Ken so Ken goes and visits with him and sure enough he's spiritually open so Ken leaves him with his New Testament and he calls me hitman for Jesus and so I go over there and I'm like let's save this guy God saved that man God had been working on him he came to salvation he died we did his funeral we teamed up to do his funeral and they called it the brotherhood and I was thinking, I'll give, at the end, I'll give the gospel. I'll tell the guy got saved. I didn't even get to start doing that because the first guy started talking about that. His wife was sitting in the front row, and she said, this is so wonderful. This is what she said. She said, I said it out loud while the guys were talking about him getting saved. She goes, this is so wonderful. This is what it looks like when we care about people being far from God. And we do what we can. God does miraculous things, opens people's hearts in supernatural ways right here in Jackson, Michigan. Right here on this road. Happened right across the street, right over there. Tremendous day. It was, everybody said that funeral. What an amazing day. What a happy, what a happy uh, celebration that he came to know the Lord. This is Kimberly Peter over and over again. How do we use the sword of the Spirit? Um, as it was just the word of God in spiritual warfare well you should know that you engraft much of the word into your soul and then it's ready for the spirit to use in your soul because how many of you've had the experience of the Lord bringing up a Bible verse to you anybody don't want to raise your you've never had this happen you ever like you thank you thank you sister it's you and me here today um, you are little the only person on my I just want to back up a little bit okay I won't make you vote on this because obviously you're being stubborn about this. But 
I'll tell you that. Okay, so uh, rule number one: don't mean don't be mean to your audience. But like you know how what it is. You are thinking about doing something, and this little Bible verse comes to your mind. Your grandma told you, or the one on the dashboard of your truck, and it comes up, and you think that was you, but it wasn't. There's the Holy Spirit bringing the word to you. When that happens, that's precious. You say, "Oh, thank you, God. Thank you that you're using the sword of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, to keep me from temptation, deception, accusation." How I love it that God convicts me with his word. I need to read more of the word and listen to more of the word. Hear the word. So what's the difference between truth and word? They're they're very similar. They overlap. But like, especially speak the truth and hear the word and meditate on the word. And so the word is used by the spirit that reminds you of what he wants you to do or to encourage you or to give you truth with divine timing. Just at the right time. One of our elders, and I won't name him, but he was a missionary, and his name is John. He's really tall. He, he is obsessed with this. this. You want me to say this? Lately, he's been bugging me. Like, he's like, we need to get the people in the Word. Am I right? This is his thing right now. And, and like, when he gives a, when he prays at the end, he's supposed to pray, you know, but he said, he throws in a little bit, and get in the Word. Now, do you know why he does that? Because the man is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's one of your elders and he knows you need to be in the Word. So get in the Word because the Spirit uses the Word like a sword. It's the, that's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So you see that, the difference. Hey, um, let's review this. And then I want to tell you a little story. And then we'll go eat. All right? Don't explain your weapons. Don't apologize for your weapons. Don't think you got to get good at, you know, kind of like spooky movie, kind of paranormal stuff. Just do the stuff your Sunday school teacher taught you to do. Pray and witness and confess your sin and do what's right and read your Bible and witness to people. Number one, the belt. Speak and live the truth to yourself, believers, and others. Number two, the breastplate of righteousness. Do what's right at the prompting and power of the Holy Spirit. Number three, the boots. Always be ready to share the good news of the gospel of peace to bring people into peace with God. Number four, the shield. Ward off temptation, deception, and accusation with trust and faith. Number five, the helmet of salvation. Team up with others to bring salvation to others. And remember, you are safe because you're safe. Number six, sword. Engraft the word of God in your soul. And hear the word. And get under the hearing of the word. These are weapons of our warfare. This is the armor that our great ally has told us to use against our adversary and his evil angels. You are who you need to be and you have what you need to have to live in victory. You don't have to be a big deal. You don't have to be physically strong. You don't have to be physically beautiful. You just want to do what God says and stand your ground. There was a man I knew, an elderly holiness pastor named Levi Wister. In my high school, when I was in Greenville, Ohio, I, went to high, I graduated from high school in Greenville, Ohio, and I went to a public school. But out on Route 36 in a little town called Bradford was a little hole in his church called God's Tabernacle. And the pastor there was a very sincere, good man whose name was Levi Wisner. He decided once, he has a daughter named Leanne. There's a couple, number of kids. But his daughter Leanne was getting ready for school. And Leanne became our friend later, very precious, helped teach our children. She's the kind of lady you want your kids to be around. Just a precious Christian lady. And uh, 
Phyllis and Levi would pray for their daughter when they put her on the school bus. And she came home from school and she said, they're teaching me this or that. And the parents thought, I don't want to learn that. They decided uh, that they would, you know, you, you got to teach your kids at home, even if they're not homeschooled, because they go to public school, the things you want to teach them. If you go to Christian school, the other things you need to teach them. And that's what, they got that. They would pray for Leanna. She would say these things and they were burdened and God, they felt like God told them start a Christian school. So they started a Christian school in Dark County, Ohio. And it was about 1973 or four, I think, five. And then the local authorities said, you're illegal, you can't do this. And they told them that they would have to close the school. And Levi's a very humble guy. I think, John, you knew Levi Wisner? Yeah, very humble man. And a simple man in a small church, a little, about like a five-acre place out there, God's tabernacle out in the country. They probably had 30, 40 students in the school, just a little Christian school. And he said, he tried to comply, but he said, I have a conviction that we want to teach our kids these things. And it's my conviction. And they says, well, you may have to go to jail for your conviction. And they find all the parents and they find him, and they took him to court, and he lost. And then it was appealed to the Ohio Supreme Court. And when it went to the Ohio Supreme Court, they put him on the witness stand. They put his daughter, Janice, on the witness stand. And they asked them, you know, why are you doing this? This is what we believe. We just need to stand. This is what we believe. This is what we need to do. And they decided, no, we're, we just have to, even if we suffer, we, we, we can't compromise. And they didn't. And they closed the proceedings, and there were six judges on the Ohio Supreme Court. And when the decision came down, all six of them recognized the conviction of Levi Wister and his people. And it changed Christian education in the entire nation to this day. If you educate your children in a Christian school, if you choose to do that, you have God to thank in his servant Levi Wister and his people who just were very simple, Bible-believing people who stood for what they believed. God help us to stand for what we believe.